three weeks ago, I reckon it was a month ago, I started a Sunday night series entitled Pastor and Church. What is the role of a pastor? What is the role of a congregation? I won't recap all the reasons why I have felt led to do this particular study, but I can tell you, having served 21 years in the military and holding nine different ranks, and now being your pastor for five years, there is a vast difference between both positions, and I know now that the role of a pastor is one of the most misunderstood roles there is. This is evidenced, I mentioned last time, by misguided statements you'll hear, and this is not a condemnation, I'm just trying to just let you know some things, Um, but you hear people, well, boy, it must be nice to get away, we must be paying you well. I mentioned last time, our text was 2 Corinthians 11.28, where Paul was talking about the Beside those things that are without, all those physical beatings that he took, beside those things that are out, he said, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. And so it's a care which floods the life of a pastor. It never goes away. It's always there. You can speak to those who have pastored. They'll tell you the same thing. And, and so it's just, and, and before you make statements like, boy, we must be paying you well, try being a pastor first. I'm not complaining about the pay. Amen. I'm not complaining. God's been very good to me, and y'all treat me well. That's not my complaint. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Amen. Um, so there's fluctuations along the way. Uh, there's, there's ebbs and flows. There's feast or famine. Sometimes or, sometimes are busier than other times, things like that, just like it is in your life. I, I mentioned um, all these statements, and it got me to thinking about other statements I, I hear. And uh, you'll hear things like this. Well, I guess because they're the pastor's kids, they get special treatment. Um, if, if you had any idea what that does to a pastor's kid, it's very deflating. My, my kids didn't ask to be born into this life, and we don't. <laughs> and so when I'm here, they're here. When we're serving, they're serving. And if they get an opportunity to serve, praise God. It, it's not that there's special privilege being handed out. We follow all the policies we have in place here. But I'm just trying to say, there are certain things that are thrown out there sometimes, and I I don't think we understand what that can do to somebody when we say those things. And it's no wonder that some preacher's kids never even darken the door of a church, much less go on to serve the Lord. Uh, I can't tell you how, how rare it is. We have some preacher's kids in here, and it's, it's not as common as you would think and a lot of that, there's a lot of factors that play into that. We're not going to get into that. I'm not really trying to dig into this point. But um, just be careful with the negativity that may come forth. It, you may not even intend it negative, but it can come across that way. And, and, and I've heard all kinds of things in all the churches I've been in in my life. You hear things said about the pastor's wife and, and all of that. And listen, if there's one person that really has it hard, it's the pastor's wife. Um, I know of a family that was out here. They, they left the area because his wife just couldn't handle it anymore. And the church lost a good pastor. And so it's just one of those things where until you've been through it, it's hard to know. And so I would just encourage you, uh, think before you speak. That goes for everything, amen? It goes for everything. Um, we're, just, we're just talking tonight, and that's all. 
Um, I'm, not, I'm not preaching. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying, Cindy. I'm just saying. Anyway. In all honesty, our church has been very good in these areas. I'm not, this is not a condemnation at all. It's just part of the series. Amen. You can tell that I have to walk on eggshells or else I wouldn't keep saying it this way because somebody's going to let me know. Um, but church has been good in these areas, so I'm definitely not, not complaining, just cautioning. I closed my sermon last time with the illustration of the geese. And I got a lot of text. Since then, one word text, I just say honk. Amen. What a blessing to get honking text. Amen. And so I do appreciate that. It is an encouragement. Um, nothing will cheer your day like getting a text that says honk. And if you weren't here for it, you're probably wondering what in the world we're talking about. And my point in my first message was, as your pastor, I have no problem with, with how God has called me to serve. He's called all of us to serve. And this is just the role that he's called me to serve. It's not better than anybody else or anything like that. And I've got no problem with how God's called me to be the quote-unquote lead goose um, and face all the friction and all the, the hardship, the exhaustion that comes along with that, flying at the front of that V formation. But I need your prayers, and I need your encouragements along the way, and that's why I really enjoyed the honk text. And the bottom line is we all benefit when we learn to fly like the geese. And so it was a very good illustration, and if you missed it, please listen to it. But I also want to take just a moment to say thank you for recognizing my fifth anniversary as your pastor earlier this month. Um, I can't tell you what that means to me, and I just really appreciate that. It was a blessing to get the card um, and to get the love offering and so forth. It's been a blessing. Thank you so much uh, for that. It was very much appreciated. And I was reminded as I got that card and I was reading it, I had come across a, a list of statistics that I received from the publication called The Legal Alert, which is put out by the Christian Law Association every month. And in the November issue, I was reminded there was a, a section in there where it gave you some stats concerning pastors. And it, asked, it started by asking this question, are you thankful for your pastor? Do you show appreciation and spend time in prayer for him? And then it, then it listed these stats. And I don't think these are uncommon to a lot of us, okay? But when I get to the bottom uh, three or four here, it's really eye-opening to me. 97% of pastors have been betrayed. 70% of pastors battle depression. 80% of pastors feel discouraged. 94% of pastors' families feel the pressure of ministry. 78% of pastors have no close friends. 90% of pastors work 55 to 75 hours per week. And then it was these three that really got me. Uh, I agree with everything on those first ones. Those are all true, um, except for the hours working. It's probably more than that, to be honest with you. And then it's, it said this, only 10% of pastors will retire as a pastor. 7,000 churches close each year. 1,500 pastors quit each month. That's pretty sobering when I read that. I know this church is prayerful and I know it's thankful. But the most sobering stat from that was that only 
of pastors will stay with it long enough and retire as a pastor. That should tell you right there that it's not some two-day two day work week with all this lucrative pay. If it was, everybody would do it. Because you'd be an idiot working five to six, seven days a week, right? When I'm up here only working two. Um, and so that should tell you it's not. But I highlight that particular stat, about 90% of those quitting before retirement age or whatever that means in that stat, I'm not 100% sure. But um, I mention that because I believe one of the main ways that this church has remained strong is through long-term sustained leadership. We, God willing, will celebrate our 42nd anniversary this November. And listen, the, the average is a church will rotate every three and a half years for a pastor. <laughs> what cracks me up about that is I've heard some pastors say, well, I ran out of material. <laughs> what? So you want to go to another church and re-give that material without having to restudy. And then it does become a two-day. I just find that humorous. We've been in John now for I don't know how long. Um, four years. Four, four point. Um, so we are in a unique situation here at Liberty Baptist Tabernacle, having our 42nd anniversary coming up this calendar year and only having two pastors. I can't tell you how rare that is. Um, And really, that says a lot about this church. The fact that Pastor Williams could serve 36, 37 years, whatever it was, as the pastor of this church, stay with it long enough to retire from that position, it says a lot about you, and it says an awful lot about him. And I just find that remarkable what we have here. I can't believe I've already been up here for five years. Can you? No. Uh, Nobody thought this would last more than six weeks. Amen? Um, And yet here we are. I don't know. But anyway, I believe we could easily, but how fast time is flying by, we could easily be approaching our 70th anniversary and only have two preachers. That is so rare. And listen, that's what I believe strengthens a church. When we bounce around leadership... It causes a lot of weakness because you're always in this constant state of flux, getting used to new leaders. Um, Just ask our military members. One of the things I got really tired of in the military and wanted to retire was because every two years you get a new wing commander. And guess what? He wants the period here and a comma there, and the other guy wanted it flipped around. And you just get tired of that stuff. And so it's great that we have the situation that we have. And if the Lord tarries, and if you're willing, I hope to be here that long. And I understand that for that to happen, there's a lot of things that have to come together. God would have to bless me with health and things like that. But it's part of the reason why I like the idea of doing this series, because I believe it requires a special relationship between the congregation and the pastor. It requires a special bond that takes place in order for these two to continue marching along for 20, 30 years uh, through that cycle. Now, in that, we're going to see a lot of ups and downs, a lot of coming and going, right? Um, Just had a family this morning say, hey, we're moving to Gillette. These kind of things happen all the time. I heard a stat once that 15% of America moves every year. That's remarkable. 
And so there's always these fluctuations, but there's going to be a core that's there. And so just, just we have a lot to be thankful for, I guess, is what I'm saying. And I want you to bear with me again this week because this is going to continue to be more of an introduction to this series. <clears throat> but to further highlight the misunderstandings, I have already been informed how my first sermon that I gave four weeks ago now would have been handled differently by Pastor Williams. That's an encouragement. Amen. Um, but spoiler alert, I'm not Pastor Williams. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. Let's talk about this. 1 Corinthians 15. For those of you who are new and never sat under Preacher Williams, then just pretend you did. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to show you how the Apostle Paul dealt with a similar kind of situation. 1 Corinthians 15, let's read verses 1 through 10. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, and then of the twelve. And after that He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that He was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, He was seen of me also as one, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I'm not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Amen. So before I get to the point of this text, I just want to highlight some things uh, in these verses preceding verse 10. Um, this chapter begins with Paul writing about the gospel. In verse 1, we see the gospel is to be declared and preached. That's all of our responsibility. We are not to be silent, but we are to be bold in our presentation of the gospel. Not bold in the fact that we are acting rude, but bold in that we are confident in that we have the truth. And why is it so important that we boldly preach the gospel? Because in verse 2, we see that it is the gospel which saves. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And we see at the end of verse 1 that we must receive the gospel. We must take it as truth. Nothing wavering. And we know it to be the truth if we have received it. Those who struggle with it being the truth have not received it. But we who have received it know and are assured that this is the truth. In Acts 2.41, speaking of the Jews, on the day of Pentecost, it says, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. But the very first thing that they had to do was they had to receive the word of God. And then in Acts 11.1, 1, we read that the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles also 
receive the Word of God. And so we find it, it's, it's the same for all mankind, Jew and Gentile alike. If you're going to be saved, you must receive the gospel. In verses 3 and 4, we get a quick definition here of what the gospel message is. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. All this emphasis on the Word of God, amen? And so when somebody asks you, what's the definition of the gospel? You can take them right here and get a quick snapshot. This is it. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so this is why Christ came into the world. Gospel means a good message, good news. We're, we're proclaiming good news, amen? We're giving people the fact that they can have their sins forgiven and be right with God and have a relationship with God. And so what is the gospel? It's how Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Everything we, we do, we go back to the Word of God. And we've got to have a constant emphasis on the Word of God. If we lose our emphasis on the Word of God, we're going to go astray because we're going to start adopting all kinds of opinions. And so we want to stay true to the Word of God. And so He died for sinners. So first, you have to admit that you're a sinner before you will realize you need a Savior. Amen. Amen. If you've never been lost, you can't be saved. After He died for our sins, He was buried. He was placed in a new tomb, but it was only a borrowed tomb. Hallelujah. Because He would rise again the third day. He didn't stay dead, as the song says. We see that after He died for our sins, He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Living, He loved me. Dying, He saved me. Buried, He carried my sins far away. Rising, He justified freely forever. And one day, He's coming. Oh, glorious day. Amen. Amen. I love that song. So in the simplest of terms, this is the gospel message. This is the good news that we are to herald. There is no greater news than that Christ made the way. I hope that we see some good things happen politically <laughs> and judicially. <laughs> but even if we got good news in those areas, there'd be no greater news than that Christ has come. Amen. Hallelujah. So we need to be giving the good news, amen? Um, read all about it. <laughs> Have you believed in the gospel? Have you placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation? It's not man's gospel, but it is Christ's gospel. Nothing else will save you. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, I hope that you would do so today. Once we have received it, this is the truth wherein we stand. Our hope, it doesn't shift with the cultural climates of our day. Amen. We don't, our doctrine doesn't change with the winds of some church. We, listen, our doctrine doesn't rest upon some church's catechism, but upon the infallible Word of God. And so we have something that is steadfast, it is sure, it is our anchor. This is where we stand. Our hope is anchored in God's unchanging Word. That's such a blessing in this day. Amen. With all that's happening out there, aren't you glad to know that there is something we have that is stable? 
I am, amen. Uh, there's all kind of nonsense going on out there, but I know this, when I enter into the Word of God, I'm getting truth, truth for the ages. That never changes. And, and man, I tell you, it just helps you in this life. Because I can look at all this madness and go, yep, that's what the Bible says. And so we stand upon it. We receive it as our means of salvation, and then we stand therein. In verses 5 through 7 here, Paul goes on to mention some of those who were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Lord. How would you like to be in that bunch? Amen. One day you will. Ha. All right, anyway, since we're all excited about that, he mentions Cleophas, and then he mentions the twelve. He mentions how over 500 saw him at once. That'd be enough for any court system there to have 500 eyewitnesses. And 500 saw him at once, and then he was seen of James, and then it says of all the apostles. Then in verse 8, Paul mentions how he was the last who saw the resurrected Lord. But if you knew Paul's testimony, then you know how his experience was different than all the rest, right? Paul had seen the Lord while on the road to Damascus on his way to persecute Christians. And in an unusual way, the Lord showed up. And he had seen Christ. And so, he's different than those who saw the resurrected Lord before he ascended. And because of Paul's experience, he refers to seeing his Lord as one who was born out of due time. And this is an expression of how he felt unworthy. And then in verse 9, it says, For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Understandably, he views himself as the least of all the apostles, not even worthy to be called one. And the reason he gives is because before his conversion, he persecuted the church. The Bible says in Acts 8.3, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. In Acts 9.1 it says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Acts 26.9-11 it says, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He's giving his testimony here. And which things I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Paul did a lot of harm to the church. Of course, the church was still growing. Amen? You can't stop it. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Amen? Just a quick, uh, a quick uh, preaching point here. Paul's conversion is absolutely incredible. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't it be absolutely amazing if the office, the highest office in our land came out on national television and said, I've been converted to Christianity. And now we're going to use the King James Bible. <laughs> she might sound that way, I don't know. Some of you got that, Amen. <laughs> Anyway, so listen, this, this conversion here, it's incredible. And, and here's the thing. If God could use a man who once killed Christians, then don't give God the excuse that He can't use you because of your past. 
Are you a new creature or not? Have old things been passed away and all things become new or not? The blood of Christ will never lose its power. So stop making excuses on why you think God can't use you. Stop telling God why His sacrifice wasn't good enough for you. That's what you're saying. Do the will of God for your life. Well, you don't understand what I used to do. You don't understand what I used to be. Okay, but you apparently don't understand exactly why Christ came. It was to forgive you of all of that. Amen. He came to save you because you weren't good enough to save yourself. So stop living in the past. Admit what you once were and move on. If Christ has forgiven you, then why are you hanging on to the past? Is His blood all sufficient or not? Well, amen. Let's look at uh, verse 10 here and how Paul dealt with what I opened with. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So Paul just had to say, you know what? By the grace of God, I am what I am. Some of you need to learn that. He's saying, you know, I may not be like these other apostles who saw the resurrected Lord before Jesus ascended, but by God's grace, I am what I am. I can't change that. I can't change how God worked in my life. I can't change the fact that God chose to work in all of those other examples here to see Him before He ascended. I don't know why God chose to wait until I was on the road to Damascus. I don't understand why, but that's how God worked in my life. And I can't change that. So either I press on or I try to be somebody I'm not. He had to admit that he was not as privileged as the others had been. Like John, who could say in 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. John, when he wrote, he said, man, we got to walk with him. I've, I've touched him. He leaned upon his breast. He felt the hot breath of heaven. He knew what it was like to see Jesus and to hear Jesus and to communicate with Him. Paul here, he doesn't have that experience. We don't know what all happened to Paul beforehand, but I reckon God was at, his, at work in his heart quite a bit before the road to Damascus. Because Jesus asked, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I believe he had been getting pricked in the heart quite a bit over this whole thing. I have a lot of conspiracy theories on that. But it's just my opinion, so we'll press on. So Paul here, notice that he's not stubbornly saying, I am what I am like Popeye. <laughs> he's not being stubborn about this. But notice what he says. I am what I am by the grace of God. It wasn't a stubborn thing of him saying this. And so he didn't have to try to be like James. He didn't have to try to be like John or Peter. He just needed to be who he was in Christ. And I wish more Christians could learn that. 
I, many of us are guilty of it. I'm not knocking that. I was guilty of it when I first started preaching. I wanted to be like that guy. Man, he could preach. Altar calls were packed. I said, that's what I want. And then one day God just kicked me in the head and said, no, stupid. I didn't call you to be a carbon copy of anybody. Amen. Amen. You just be who I have created you to be. And things got so much easier after that. Because you let go of all those things. It wasn't Paul who forcefully made himself who he was. But it was God who made Paul what he was. And God did so according to His grace toward Paul. Now, I want to bring this back around to our series about the pastor and the church. I can try to pretend to be Pastor Williams, and I can try to imitate how he did everything, or I can understand that by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, I believe Pastor Williams and I share the same heart and vision for this church. I believe that, and I believe that's part of why things happen the way they did. But it doesn't mean that you're getting to the end goal the same way. But the end goal is still the same. I've mentioned in the past how when I was in the military, I was criticized for being honest. Isn't that a strange thing to be criticized for? (laughs) I don't reckon that's changed much in my life. I believe in being forthright. My tact is getting better, though. Amen. But I do want you to know where I stand. And, and I'm probably a very emotional guy. I, where are my emotions out there? Um, I've made this observation to the deacons a couple of times. But for you who have been here for many years, you need to consider this. Pastor Williams came here already having over 20 years of pastoral experience. <laughs> That's huge. I became your pastor with zero days of pastoral experience. And God bless Preacher Williams. He said, it's all yours. Do it. I said, Preacher, what do I do when missionaries come through on deputation? You'll figure it out. Huh? I don't even know what it is I'm supposed to figure out. Amen. The preaching ain't that bad. Come on. I may have had 17 years of preaching experience, but there's a vast difference between getting up to preach and pastoring. I like being able to just get up and preach. People excuse it, number one, you know. I was just filling in. (laughs) Number two, they're not going to come to me to be critical. They're going to go to the pastor. Do you know what that guy said? I mean, the last time Breck preached, I had so many people coming to me. <laughs> Just kidding, brother. <laughs> I am teasing. Um, isn't Breck great? Amen. <laughs> For some who remember me before becoming your pastor, I think it can complicate the transition from Brother Brooks to Pastor Brooks. Several, several of you knew me when I showed up as a 23-year-old zit face with no kids and uh, looked different. And I, you remember those days, and 
In some areas, I came of age spiritually in this church when I showed up the first time. And because I'm still the same goofball, I recognize it can be difficult for some to now view me as your pastor. I remember you, blah, 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 blah. And it can be hard to separate the less than 200-pound Gary with the 250-pound Pastor Brooks. It can be hard to separate those two. This is why when one goes from being enlisted to becoming an officer in the military, the military moves you to a new assignment because they understand the hardships of people now looking at Tech Sergeant Brooks as Lieutenant Brooks, that there's going to be a lack of respect, if you will, for the leadership position because we were all pals, and now I'm the one trying to tell you what to do. And so the military, they, they know enough to, to move you along for that reason. And I believe this is one of the reasons God chose to move us away before he brought us back. I believe there had to be a separation time there to be able to transition to be your pastor. Um, if I did that without ever leaving, I think it would have been far more difficult to switch into a leadership role while still being who you <laughs> Anyway. Um, I think the temptation there is to despise somebody's youth. Not saying you would have been guilty of that, so pump the brakes. But I think that's the temptation. None of this is a complaint, by the way. I want you to know that. One day, Lisa Russ and I were talking about how it's been strange balancing our friendship with the pastor, pastorate and how that's been kind of strange because we've always been so close. And... Now we have to communicate about things on a friendship level and a pastorate level, and it can just be kind of different. And so I take no issues with these challenges because I know that it can take years to transition from one pastor to the other when the previous pastor had been there for as long as Pastor Williams was here and was doing such a fine job as he was. And so it is said that it takes, on average, seven years to transition the pastorate where for those of you who have been here for a long time, it takes you a long time before you can say, yes, that guy is my pastor. And that's why I will still hear comments about, do you know how Pastor Williams would handle this? Actually, no, I don't, because he's never told me. <laughs> so you can just stop asking that question. I'm just trying to highlight how that, not only are Pastor Williams and I not the same guy, but we came to the pastorate under very different circumstances. Therefore, it isn't right to compare me by him. I mentioned when I became your pastor that the old Pastor Williams is not going to walk through those doors. I wish that he would. I miss hearing his preaching. I miss sitting at the table that he would prepare. But it's not going to happen. And we need to come to terms with that. Sadly, those days are gone. So I stand before you tonight telling you that by the grace of God, I am what I am. I did not seek for the pastorate of this church, contrary to some things that were floating around at the time. I never sought for it, but God crowded me to it. Does that make sense? I had enough sense to know I didn't want to be a pastor. The previous pastor laughed the loudest, amen? I had enough sense to know that. I'd watched my dad be a pastor. I, I understand all that. 
But when God begins to work in your life and He crowds you into things, you can't get away from it. And so we, we came here under very different circumstances, but we both came here nonetheless. And I recognize that I am the least of all men that could have taken this church. And I mean that. I know that those men were better men than me. I have no question. And I know that there were a lot of men that wanted this church. Men that were highly educated. Men that had a lot of experience. I don't know why God chooses who He does. I don't know why He would choose some hillbilly in overalls from Georgia. I don't understand that. Who basically has no education. But He did. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'll never be an H. Wayne Williams. Man, I wish I could preach like he did. I do. I wish I had that man's knowledge. <laughs> I've got to tell the story now. I've told it before, but good night. When Adrian gave birth to Sydney, <laughs> for some reason she's sitting in the back. I told her that before church. I said, you're a backslide. You're a back row Baptist. This man is not a good example. And, uh, just kidding, Grant. I love you, brother. So Adrian gives birth to Sydney, and the pastor shows up, back when you could actually go to a hospital. And um, I won't go into detail, but the room was still a mess. And um, Adrian asked what I thought was a very simple question. It had to do something about Rebecca and Leah. I can't remember the... Rachel and Leah. I always get the names mixed up. And uh, I thought it was a very simple answer. About an hour, hour and a half later, we were coming to the conclusion of the answer. And we both were like, how do I process all that I just heard? I mean, the man had knowledge is what I'm saying. Um, anyway. And now Karen has it. <laughs> so I hope you will see, like Paul says in verse 10, that God's grace which has been bestowed upon me was not in vain. Um, I, I, know, I, I know I'm the least. And I, those are not empty words if you know me. Um, but I, I want you to know God's grace was not bestowed in vain. And I can't say whether or not I labor any harder than Pastor Williams does, but I can tell you this, I labor. I labor, and I want you to know that. I take this very serious. So as we think about the pastor and church, don't be guilty of comparing. And again, we're just introdu introducing this still tonight. Paul wrote that comparing themselves among themselves, they are not wise. It's not wise to do that. And so in one sense, it's not even wise to me to say, I wish I could do this like so-and-so. Right? It's not wise to compare. We have to be who we are in Christ. If you allow comparisons to enter in, listen, now I do want you to get this. This is kind of the, the point. If you allow comparisons to come in, divisions will happen. There will be, there'll be schisms. And what you'll find is what Paul was addressing in chapter 1. I hear that there'll be divisions among you. And, and listen, he starts saying this. Some of you are saying, I'm of Cephas. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Paul and I'm of Christ. Paul says, don't do that. 
this church will be better off, and, and again, this is no disrespect to preacher, but this church would be better off if we would stop saying, I'm of Pastor Williams, and I'm of Pastor Brooks. What we need to be saying is, I'm of Christ. And then trust who God puts in place. Trust the Lord in, in what He's doing. So this church isn't about Pastor Williams. This church isn't about Pastor Brooks. This church is all about Christ. But if you choose to keep comparing one against the other, and for those of you who never really knew Pastor Williams as your pastor, if you continue to compare, say, me with your previous pastor, you're going to be disappointed. Amen. Because usually we fall in love with where we kind of grew up and and I've seen this with young military people. The last thing they cut from their old life, if you will, is their home church. It's what they hang on to. And it's hard to become a member at their first assignment because they're hanging on to that old church life because they have such a respect and a love for that church. Not in all cases, but in most. And what tends to happen is you come in and say, well, my previous pastor this and my previous pastor that. And it leads to this comparison that causes division. And it causes your heart to not be here. And if you're here tonight, it's because God wants you here. Amen. So you've got to stop being divided. Right. And you've got to stop comparison. You just have to say, look, listen, dads, you need to say to your family, this is where God has planted us. Amen. This is where God has led us, and we're going to serve God here. Amen. And we're going to put aside the comparisons. Amen. And if we'll do that, We'll be, able to go we'll be able to go further quicker. But if we hang on to those comparisons, you're always going to be disappointed. You don't have to look far to find fault in me. Amen. I do not speak that as a badge of honor. I speak that to my shame. But we all have faults, amen? Some are seen, some are not. And it's just one of those things where I don't want you to keep hanging on to this idea, well, pastor would have done it this way, and pastor would have done it that way, and, and boy, he knew a lot better than you did in that area. In this area. I know that. You don't have to pour salt in the wound, amen? So you'll learn I am the least of all your pastors. Not even meet to be called a pastor. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And now I'm asking you tonight that you'll embrace that and that you will not let division enter your mind by comparison. Now, let me close with this thought. How about you tonight? How about you? Have you come to terms with who you are in Christ? Have you been able to be comfortable with who you are in Christ? Can you say, by the grace of God, I am what I am? Not stubbornly, but this is how God's grace worked in my life, and this is, this is who I am. Have you come to that point in your life? Are you willing and ready to come to God and say, I know what I used to be, but I know your blood has washed away every sin, and Lord, I am ready for you to use my life in whatever way you see fit. Amen. Have you learned to be content with who you are in the Lord? Have you learned that? And have you learned to stop using excuses as to why God can't use you. Let God use your life. Don't get hung up in your past. That's why Christ came. Confess your sin, get it under the blood, move on. So, I hope you can say tonight, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let's pray.